it going, everybody? Welcome back. Welcome into the show today. Thanks for being here. I am Andrew for America. This is the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. Um, how you guys doing? How you been? Lots going on in the world. I hope you've been liking the show lately. Um, today I want to discuss a topic that is uh, very important to me and is the cause for a lot of uh, mental frustration. Um, this stuff uh, is just so clear to me. Uh, and I, I, I'm baffled as to how it's not more clear to others. And I think the answer to that is propaganda and feeble-minded, feeble-mindedness, ignorance, ego, an inability to uh, critically think and analyze information, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, there's far too many people in the world that don't understand uh, what a free market is and how a free market should work. How a pure free market is self-regulating through the um, free cooperation of, you know, the voluntary cooperation of separate parties, separate uh, groups, or separate individuals who are together in their own way pursuing their own separate interests. What's more moral than that? What's more moral about expecting people to... um, abide by their agreements and their contracts with others. You know, I mean, I've talked about it at length, you know, and I want to start the show today. I'm going to play a clip. This is from a guy named Nick Freitas, I think is how you pronounce his name. And he has a show called Why. I think it's, uh, you know, if you have a why, you know, send your why question in and then they cover it kind of thing. And this is a clip I saw of him. And and the question is, why is freedom worth dying for and you know just think about this clip let it swirl around a bit uh just want to kind of put the importance of freedom and free market capitalism in your head why is it worth dying for i don't know maybe you'll agree maybe you'll disagree but here just take an honest listen to this If you were promised free food, free medical care, a free place to live, and a guaranteed job, would you give up your liberty? That's the question that Joachim Neumann had to answer living in East Germany during the reign of the Soviet Union. Well, in 1961, using a borrowed Swiss passport, he made his escape into West Germany. But having had to leave his family, his friends, and his girlfriend Krista behind, he immediately started working on ways to facilitate their escape. Working with others in an abandoned bakery in the West, they started to construct a tunnel that had to extend not only beyond the Berlin Wall, but the space behind it known as the Death Strip. After weeks of work and constant fear of being discovered by the Stasi, they finally emerged on the other side and began to coordinate with the people in the East. For two days, people would quietly arrive at the house where the tunnel was concealed. They would deliver the password Tokyo, and they would begin the slow journey crawling on their hands and knees through a cramped and dark tunnel to arrive in the West. It didn't take long for the German secret police to discover the tunnel and immediately and violently shut it down. 
but not before 57 people, to include Krista, made it to the other side. While we remember Tunnel 57 as a triumph, we also need to acknowledge the hundreds of other attempts that led in imprisonment and death for thousands of other people who made the same choice but failed in the endeavor. So back to our question, would you do it? Why did he do it? Why would anybody leave a place that promised you all of these free things only to make it to another place that only promised you the freedom to pursue happiness? Perhaps those who seek to redefine freedom as the provision of things rather than your freedom to choose your own path fundamentally misunderstand both freedom and the human spirit itself. The story of Tunnel 57 and the untold stories of countless others stands as a powerful monument to the desire of people to not merely exist, but to be the author of one's own story, to see the challenges in life as an opportunity to create something that is uniquely our own. For those of us who have never had to attempt such feats merely to breathe free, we would be wise to remember that while the promise of security is enticing, it is no substitute for the pursuit of happiness and meaning that only genuine freedom can provide. I mean, people, so you remember last episode or a couple episodes ago, I played you the Bill Maher clip, right? I mean, even Democrats, you Democrats out there, even some of you have got to listen to that and understand how important freedom is and how uh, antithetical to the divine human spirit and to the ability to write your own ticket, be the author of your own destiny. And, and how you can't get that through socialism. Socialism is force. Centralized banking, centralized government is a group of people colluding and conspiring against the better, you know, the best wishes, the better judgment, the, the you know, what's best for the majority of people. You know, I mean, do you really want, you know, some big... Intellectual elite, you know, world dominating government telling you what your options are, or do you want to do you want to live in a in a country in a world where you government is limited and you can write your own ticket, and you know we will collectively as a society decide how we're going to self regulate, and we do that through contracts and cooperation because it's mutually beneficial. I don't understand how. You lefties don't understand that. You know how you can achieve your, your socialist utopia? Through anarcho-capitalism. <laughs> anarcho-capitalism is the way that you lefties are going to get your socialist utopia. I know, it's a tough pill to swallow. And the only reason why it's a tough pill to swallow is there's a few reasons. And a few of those reasons are, A, you've never thought about it as this much before. You've never read into it. You've never studied. You've never analyzed your own arguments before. And two, your arguments come from the mainstream media. And because the media tells you that this is what capitalism is and this is how you should think about government and this is how you should think about uh, businesses, businesses are evil and the government is our benevolent leader, our moral leader and teacher right? Remember when Reagan was talking about, you know, the Democrats taking the party of Jefferson, uh, you know, whoever, whoever, whatever founders he mentioned, and he said, taking it down the road of Marx, Lenin, and Stalin. That's what's happening. And even Bill Maher 
understands. You know, he says, you're, you're, you, you 18 to 30-year-old uh, demographic, you gullible idiots, progressive, you know, I, I, I'm trying to be nice to people. I'm trying. Whew, I'm trying to be nice. But you guys, your ideas are ridiculously stupid. You don't even pay attention to anything from history. You know, he jokes that if it didn't happen in your lifetime, it's as if it didn't doesn't matter because you weren't alive. I mean, the ego and the programming is just so effective. It's it's sad. And I'm, you know, I'm gonna try to change that today. Uh, I'm gonna try to change that. So let's move on. Uh, you know, freedom's worth dying for. I mean, you guys. <laughs> You guys, you've seen Braveheart, right? You remember the Kitty Worthman episode where she talks about, you know, what life was really like when your country is taken over. And, you know, she talks about how her, her countrymen would have fought to the death had they known. You know, they would have been willing to die for their freedom. To not be dominated and controlled by, you know, some outside force that who knows? Who knows? You know, slavery... Death, rape, murder, I mean, pff, that's going to become everyday life in, 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 in an uncivilized country. You people just, man, I really hope we figure this stuff out. Um, you know, and, and, you know, free markets are moral people. They encourage cooperation between citizens regardless of race, color, creed, sexual orientation, etc. You know, we need both competition and cooperation in the marketplace. We need competition in the marketplace because that's what drives innovation. And we need cooperation in the marketplace because it is in our own best interest to protect and defend our individual operations. We and, and our individual operations are, you know, in a collective group of many other people who have their own operations as well, right? Theoretically speaking, that's pretty much the idea. And, you know, and a free market can't function properly unless government intervention is limited. Big, gigantic Leviathan government, it, it, free market capitalism is not possible under that much government involvement, regulation, taxation, subsidies, tariffs, you know, Federal Reserve, fiat currency, inflation, deflation, people. When are you going to wake up and start looking at this stuff for what it is? Free market capitalism is your friend. And big government crony capitalism Revolving door, lobbyists, special interests, PACs, super PACs, you know, dark money. When are you guys going to learn? When are you guys, when are we all, when are we all going to learn? That the society that we all want, that I think we all want, the way to get there is through very well-organized anarcho-capitalism. You know, remember Chomsky said that, you know, he's an anarchist. And he says that any truly anarchist society, you know, has to be very organized. Not centralized. Organized. 
and the people need to be need to participate. And that goes right back to the, you know, you can't have freedom without responsibility conversation. This is the thing. See, the problem is some of us know that you have to participate. You have to suffer the consequences. You can't just pass the buck on to somebody else. Real quick, I want to, here you go, Thomas Paine. Those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must like men, undergo the fatigues of supporting it. Unquote. Quote, unquote. Thomas Paine. That's a much more eloquent way of getting my point across right now. You people need to participate in the system. You can't run away from everything and expect, oh, let's just tax the ultra-rich. Let's not have an understanding of how uh, you know, the market works and how business works and how it's all based on cooperation, people. Here, here's another guy. Here's another guy that's a lot more eloquent than me. Here's uh, Walt Williams, Walter Williams, talking about is capitalism moral? Many people believe that free market capitalism is selfish, even immoral. They say it's about greed about hunger for money and power, that it helps the rich and hurts the poor. They're wrong. The free market is not only economically superior, it is morally superior to any other way of organizing economic behavior. Here's why. The free market calls for voluntary actions between individuals. There's no coercion. In a free market, if I want something from you, I have to do something for you. Let's say I mow your lawn and you pay me $20. What does that $20 really mean? When I go to the grocer and say, I would like to have four pounds of steak. He in effect says to me, you want a lot of people to serve you. Ranchers, truckers, butchers, and packagers. All these people have to be paid. What did you do to serve your fellow man? Well, I say, I mowed my fellow man's lawn. And the grocer says, prove it. Then I offer him the $20. Think of the money that you've earned as a certificate of performance. It's proof that you've served your fellow man. People accuse the free market of not being moral because they say it's a zero-sum game, like poker, where if you win, it means that I have to lose. But the free market is not a zero-sum game. It is a positive-sum game. You do something good for me, such as give me that steak, and I'll do something good for you, give you $20. I'm better off because I value the steak more than I value the $20, and the grocer is better off because he valued the $20 more than he valued the steak. We both win. Ironically, it's the government not the free market that creates zero-sum games in our economy. If you use the government to get a food stamp, a farm subsidy, or a business bailout, you will benefit, but at the expense of your fellow citizens. Isn't it more moral to require that people serve their fellow man in order to have a claim on what he produces, rather than not serve others and still have a claim? But a lot of people ask, what about giant corporations? Don't they have too much power over our lives? Not in a free market. 
Because in a free market, we the people decide the fate of companies who want our business. Free market capitalism will punish a corporation that does not satisfy customers or fails to use resources efficiently. Businesses, big and small, that wish to prosper are held accountable by the people who vote with their dollars. And again, it's the government that can undo this. Take the example of the American automobile industry. It was struggling to survive in 2009. Why? Because they were producing cars that did not please a sufficient number of their fellow men. In a free market, they would therefore have gone bankrupt. The market would have said, look, you're done. Sell your plant and equipment to somebody who can do a better job. But when Chrysler and General Motors failed, they went to Washington, D.C. and got the government to bail them out. The government bailout essentially meant to them, you don't have to be accountable to customers and stockholders. No matter how inferior your product is, and no matter how inefficient you are, we'll keep you in business by taking your fellow man's money. When the government interferes in this way, it takes the power away from the people and rewards companies that couldn't compete successfully in the marketplace. That may work out very well for politicians, big unions, and corporate officers, but it seldom does for the taxpayer. That's why a free market system can only work if there is limited government. Limited government means you and I decide which businesses survive. That's the America that our founding fathers envisioned, a limited government that has only a few specifically mentioned or enumerated powers that are listed in Article I, Section 8 of the United States Constitution. It's this brilliant limited government notion that produced the wealthiest nation in history. In a free market, the ambition and the voluntary effort of citizens, not the government, drives the economy. That is, people, to the best of their ability, shaping their own destiny. Sounds pretty moral to me. I'm Walter Williams of George Mason University. So let me ask you a question, people. Is coercion and force moral or is voluntary cooperation moral? Socialism, people, is force. The government forces a set of whatever laws, rules, principles, you know, taxes, whatever, on the people. You don't have a choice. Do you have a choice in the income tax, people? Do you have a choice? Do you have a choice if they take taxes? Remember Chris Rock used to have a bit. He says, you know, we don't pay taxes. They take tax. <laughs> it's not a voluntary situation. There's no consent. You know what I mean? Someone wrote a law once upon a time, and now you have to live in accordance to that law. And that's unfortunate. And that's it goes back to my whole argument when I said, you know, we have to... Enforce the law. The rule of law is very important, and you don't need all these frivolous laws that weaken the necessary laws. And this is a perfect example of that. There are unjust, immoral 
laws. Slavery was legal. You want that to be the benchmark for morality, legality? Just because something's legal, you think that means that it's automatically moral? Oh boy. If you're that kind of person, people, you need you need an education. You, you've had an indoctrination, if that's how you feel, and that's the way you think. You need an education. I recommend self-education. Start getting into this stuff. Go read Adam Smith, The Wealth of Nations. Go, go read Murray Rothbard, Anatomy of the State. Go read any of the Austrian economists. <laughs> you don't have to agree. Just get the concepts in your head. And then once it swirls around a little bit and you go back to your Keynesian and your John Kenneth Galbraith and your fiat currency and your centralized control of everything, you put the two uh, 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 methods up against each other, do a cost-benefit analysis, come back and talk to me, okay? Oh, man. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Uh, here we go. Uh, since we're on the topic... Since we're on the topic of free markets, it, 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 you know, I got to talk about Milton Friedman again, clearly. Here, let me read some quotes by Milty. Uh, and then I'm going to play you a very famous clip by Milton Friedman uh, where he talks about, uh, he tells you the I pencil story. And the story supports his claims from the quotes that I'm about to read to you right now. And you don't have to agree, people. I've said it a million times. I just want you to think about it, okay? Milton Friedman, and I quote, The great virtue of a free market system is that it does not care what color people are. Do you know what? You know who does care about color? People that are race baiters and the race hustlers out there. The mainstream media. BLM, any George Soros funded organization, etc. You know who I'm talking about. Antifa. Okay? So the great virtue of a free market system is that it does not care what color people are. It does not care what their religion is. It only cares whether they can produce something that you want to buy. It is the most effective system we have discovered to enable people who hate one another to deal with one another and help one another. <clears throat> Isn't that what we all want? If you don't have the balls or the desire to experience another culture, another uh, different racial ethnic group uh, from a different country, people that have different values, different belief systems than you. If you don't have the courage or the desire to talk to people and educate yourself and learn a new way, a new method, a new thought process, a new philosophy, then you're only doing yourself a disservice, okay? If you want to be a racist, bigot, feeble-minded dipshit, fine, do that. But don't don't blow it out of proportion that there are so many of these people walking on this planet that are that narrow-minded and really feel that way. Like, if you can't see past the propaganda and this woke progressive movement bullshit pumped 
into your brain through the mainstream media. If you can't see it for what it is, people, I don't know if you're savable. And this is a little bit of what Milton said. Remember when uh, I played for you guys the Don the Donahue interview, where he's like, you know, when you see the greed and the and the um, you know the inequality around the world, doesn't it make you second guess uh, uh, capitalism? And if greed is such a good idea, right? And then what does Milty say? He says, well, first of all, tell me, is there some society you know that doesn't run on greed? You think Russia doesn't run on greed? You think China doesn't run on greed? What is greed? Of course, none of us are greedy, right? It's only the other fellow who's greedy. <laughs> the world runs on individuals pursuing their own separate interests. The great achievements of civilization have not come from government bureaus. Einstein didn't construct his theory under order from a bureaucrat. Henry Ford didn't revolutionize the automobile industry that way in the only cases in which the masses have escaped from the kind of grinding poverty you're talking about. The only cases in recorded history are where they are where they have had capitalism and largely free trade. If you want to know where the masses are worse off, or the worst off, it's exactly in the kinds of societies that depart from that. And here is the, the nail in the coffin of, uh, this is his home run thesis. So that the record of history is absolutely crystal clear. Lefties, Democrats, progressives, listen up so that the record of history is absolutely crystal clear to you, lovers of socialism. There is no alternative way so far discovered of improving the lot of the ordinary people that can hold a candle to the productive activities that are unleashed by the free enterprise system. Unquote, period, mic drop. If you can't understand that, people... I don't know if you're savable. And then here's a little uh, a bit about, you know, I, I said earlier, free markets can't work unless you have limited government, right? Here's Milton Freeman on that topic. And I quote, government has three primary functions. It should, provi it should provide for military defense of the nation. It should enforce contracts between individuals. It should protect citizens from crimes against themselves or their property. When government, in pursuit of good intentions, tries to rearrange the economy, legislate morality, or help special interests, the costs come in inefficiency, lack of motivation, and loss of freedom. Government should be a referee and not an active player, unquote. Ooh, it's pouring down rain in Minneapolis. Here we go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you here. Here's uh, Milton Freeman talking about iPencil. Great story. 
Maybe you'll learn something. Here we go. We need an understanding of the real nature of freedom, economic and political, and the interrelationship between the two. We need really to have a greater understanding of the kind of system, the kind of principles that have enabled us to, to get this great achievement of the past 200 years. We need to understand how it is that a free market works to enable millions of people to cooperate peacefully together. I know no better way to bring this out than by a very simple example that I owe to an old friend of mine, Leonard Reed, who once wrote a little article called I the Pencil. This is the only prop I have for this TV show. As you can see, it's a plain yellow pencil. Said Leonard Reed in his article, you know, it's a funny thing, he said, there's nobody in the world who knows how to make a pencil. Now, that seems like a silly thing to say, isn't it? This is just the most obvious thing. It's only a piece of wood with a, something black in the middle and a little red tip at the end. What do you mean nobody knows how to make a pencil? Well, suppose you were to start to set out to make a pencil. First of all, you have to get some wood, don't you? Where do you get the wood? You have to go to the Pacific Northwest, probably, and cut down some trees. How do you cut down some trees? You have to have some saws to cut it with. Where do you get the saws? You have to have some steel. Where do you get the steel? You have to have a steel mill. In order to have the steel mill, you have to get the iron ore, and you can add all the rest. So in order to know how to make a pencil, you would have to know everything there is to know about how to start from iron ore and coal and get iron and convert it into saws and cut down trees. But that's only the beginning. This black stuff in the middle that we call lead isn't lead. It's graphite, I think. I'm not absolutely sure. And I am told it comes from some mines in South America. So in order to get that black stuff in between, you would have to take a trip down to South America and know all about how to extract graphite from the mines in South America. Now this little red tip at the top, that's rubber. Where's it come from? Well, the major source of natural rubber is Malaya. That's quite another distance. And I don't know how many of you know that the rubber tree was not native to Malaysia. It was originally imported into Malaysia by private enterprises trying to make some money. And they transplanted it from somewhere in South America. I think it was Brazil, but I don't guarantee that. And they brought it over into Malaysia and established the, pla uh, the plantations there and got this rubber. So somehow or other, in order to make a pencil, you'd have to know about the rubber. Now there's a little brass tip around here, and I've run out of my own technological knowledge. I don't have the slightest idea where that comes from, though there are probably people in the audience who could tell us. Nobody knows how to make a pencil. But the miracle of this pencil isn't that nobody knows how to make it. The miracle of the pencil is how did it get made? Who told that fellow over in Malaya to tap his tree and send a little bit of rubber over here to put at the end of this pencil so I could have a pencil in my hand? What's happened? What is it that has enabled this little elementary transaction to take place? I'm not sure what the price of this thing is nowadays. These things change so fast. 
When I first started hearing about this story, it was a nickel pencil, but that won't do anymore. It's probably two for a quarter or 15 cents a piece. But what happens when I go down the store and I put down a quarter and get two of these pencils? I am trading with thousands of people all over the world, people in Washington State who are cutting down trees, people in South America, people over in Malaya. I'm making a deal with them. I'm saying to them indirectly, I'll give you two minutes of talk for two of these pencils. <laughs> in fact, I've, I, I, I hope I've underpriced myself in that <laughs> calculation. Now, how is that brought about? Is there some commissar sitting in some central office who is sending out orders to these people in Malaya, to these people in South America, to the people in Washington? How is it that they are led to cooperate with one another? That's the miracle of the price system. Because note, these thousands of people who have been led to engage in this simple transaction with me, not one of them has been forced to do it. Nobody has had a gun to his head. They've all done it. Why? Because each one of them thinks he's better off in this transaction. And somehow or other, I've done it because I think I'm better off. Everybody has benefited. There's been no central direction. These people who have cooperated with one another don't speak the same language. They're people of all different religions. They may hate one another in every respect. But this hasn't prevented them somehow or other from being led to cooperate together. It hasn't prevented some kind of a wonderful machinery from bringing together these various components all together into this little pencil. What is that machinery? What is it that has induced people to do this? How has it been brought about? That machinery is the price system. That machinery is what the story is all about. That machinery is what enabled the United States to develop as it did. Because it's this price system which has the great virtue that it doesn't require any central direction. It doesn't require any commissars. It doesn't require people to be able to talk the same language. It doesn't require to be, be, people to be of the same religion. In fact, the beauty of the price system is that when you buy this pencil, you have no idea the religion of the people who went into it, whose work went into it. When you buy your daily bread, you don't know whether the wheat was grown by a black man or a white man, by a Chinaman or an Indian or uh, anybody else. And as a result, the price system enables you to have cooperation among millions of people peacefully, cooperating on one little phase of their life, while each one goes about his own business in respect of everything else. It works so well. It works so efficiently that ordinarily we're not aware of it. It's like the, uh, your car. It never occurs to you what a complicated business it is until 3 o'clock in the morning on a dark road it stops functioning. And then you suddenly realize it's a complicated mechanism. And it's the same way with the price system. So long as it is working, so long as it's operating, so long as it's being, bringing people together, it doesn't even occur to you that it's this kind of a complicated mechanism. How is it that it achieves this bringing of people together? Fundamentally, at bottom, the essential, uh, the essential idea of the price mechanism is that 
both parties to a transaction can benefit, provided it is voluntary and not coerced. There's this terrible tendency, and most economic fallacies derive from that tendency, to think of everything as what the game theorists have come to call a zero-sum game, to think there's a fixed pie. And if I get more, you must get less. If somebody was able to make a fortune for himself, he must have done it by grinding under his heel the poor people because the pie is fixed and he takes a bigger part. The great insight behind the free market, the great insight of Adam Smith's great book, The Wealth of Nations, was that it is not a zero-sum game, that it is possible for both people to afford to a transaction to benefit, and that this insight can be used to organize people's activities over a very wide area. It's very easy to see that principle operating if you think of, of two people under any circumstances making a voluntary deal. I'll give me, I'll trade my penknife for your roller skate. Clearly, that isn't a deal unless both people are better off. It's much harder to see how that same principle is involved in the far-flung transactions that went into making this pencil. And yet the same principles are there. The price system operates in this way because it doesn't require orders. It operates in this way because it can transmit information in a very efficient way without any person having to send an order. Milton Friedman, and I quote, Although I wish the anarchists luck, since that's the way we ought to be moving now, but I believe we need government to enforce the rules of the game. A constitutional republic that operates under the rule of law that all people, regardless of race, color, creed, sexual orientation, agree to the social contract and agree to give up certain freedoms in order to live in the said society, right? That's I've said it a million times, right? Okay. So by, by prosecuting antitrust violations, for instance, we need a government to maintain a system of courts that will uphold contracts and rule on compensation for damages. We need a government to ensure the safety of its citizens, to provide police protection, but government is failing at a lot of these things that it ought to be doing because it's involved in so many things it shouldn't be doing, unquote. I really hope I'm getting my point across today, people. You know, a free market is self-regulating through individual free will, people. It's called voting with your dollar. You choose. You responsibly choose who to do business with. These rich assholes wouldn't be so rich if you didn't... You know, how many of you use Amazon? Huh? 
Do you think Bezos got that rich by by you know screwing people over? Yeah, maybe he isn't the best employer. I've heard stories, you know. But he's as rich as he is, people, because every one of you sit in your home and order product after product after product after product off of Amazon. And then it magically, it magically appears at your doorstep. Does anybody... Am I getting through to you, people? The magic of modern-day America comes to us from a marriage of technology, entrepreneurship... Determination, innovation, incentive. There's no for everybody. This is mutually, it's a mutually beneficial method of running our society that gives everybody the opportunity, regardless of all of your identity politics bullshit, by their own hand to write their own ticket. No excuses. If you fail, you try again. Trial and error, scientific method, sooner or later, you'll get to where you're going. Do you really need the government middleman in your way, preventing that process, telling you what you can and can't do, taking that freedom away from you? You think that's, you think that's where we should go? Progressives, lefties, Democrats, and even some of you Republicans. You Republicans are pathetic. You're so far away from principle. You're a bunch of rhinos. You're in the pocket of the big club or the big moneyed interests, and whoever's paying your your way, whoever's you know funding your campaigns, giving you stock tips, whatever. You're all in bed together. It's a big club, people. It's a big club. And the Republicans and the Democrats are in the big club. And if you think you're in the big club because you self-identify as a Republican or a Democrat, then (laughs) I'm pretty sure you're not savable. I'm pretty sure you're not savable. I'm going to take a break. And when I come back, I'm going to keep pounding this shit into your brain even more. Thanks for listening. I hope you're learning. I hope you've swallowed the red pill. I hope you are ready to be intellectually honest. I hope you are ready to let these concepts into your brain so that you can interpret them, analyze them, let them swirl around, decide what you feel. Is it moral? Isn't it moral? Do you like this part? Do you like that part? You don't need your party to tell you how to think, how to feel. You don't need your TV telling you how to think, how to feel. That's how they get you, people. That's why the propaganda is so effective. That's why divide and conquer works. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Dangerous freedom 
or peaceful slavery, people. Dangerous freedom is free market capitalism. Free of government intervention. And if there is any government intervention that you need in order to uh, keep people safe and prevent externalities, so be it. That's fine. But it has to be voted on by a group of people that are all participating, that aren't passing the buck to somebody else, that they can, forcing them to do the work while they sit on their fat ass and criticize armchair quarterbacks, backseat drivers, bench warmers, cowards, spineless. <laughs> so, let me ask you something. I've made a pretty good case for, you know, what why free markets are moral and why capitalism, free market capitalism is the best ticket in town. Why Winston Churchill was right when he said that capitalism is the worst form of government that we have ever had, except for when compared to all others that have been tried. <laughs> what he means by that is that capitalism is the best ticket in town morally efficiency from an efficiency standpoint from a best you know what what do football players always you know what do coaches always say it doesn't matter the sport what do coaches always say we need to put ourselves in the best position to win uh when i played for you the pump you up uh episode david goggins told you you know it's too late once you get into round three with Roger Federer and find out, damn, I can play with this motherfucker. It's too late. You need to go into the competition already knowing that you're on the level, if not better. You have to have that mindset. Your mind is the most important part of the equation in all of this, my fellow Americans. Those esoteric philosophers of the past, maybe even some of the secret societies amongst you, maybe they're not so evil. They might be secretive. And they, they might be willing to kill in pursuit of something bigger than themselves. And maybe it takes a philosopher to know that maybe that's actually against your better judgment. A moral act. Depends on a lot of things, doesn't it? Depends on your belief system. Depends on what you define as moral. Ethical. Fair. And, for whatever reason, legal. Ceding your ability to participate in the system to the government is your own goddamn fault. And if you have anything to say for yourself, it better be, you know what? This is how I feel right now, but I'm going to learn. I'm going to grow. I'm going to do the best that I can. I'm not going to become bored. I'm not going to become apathetic, malevolent, cruel. I'm not going to let the evil into my heart. Because, you know, government people is a necessary evil.
So why does free market capitalism get such a bad rap? Huh? What are the scapegoats? What, what, what gets blamed on capitalism? Is it actually capitalism that's at fault? Or is it something else? You know, billionaires don't really like free market capitalism. Because then they have to compete. <laughs> you know, and some people don't even get access to the marketplace because of the monopolies, the oligopolies, the big club, uh, crony capitalism, revolving door, etc., etc. I've talked about it at length. The systems of control, the gatekeepers, they're there for a reason, people. They're there for a reason. I'm going to play a clip. Here's a little clip I love. It's, you know, how come thieves don't like free market capitalism? Huh? Riddle me this, Batman. I know how to get a free suit. All I have to do is go to Macy's, get a suit, charge it, and then when the bill comes, rip it up. Ethical issues aside, you see the main problem with this approach is that I can only do it once. The next time I go to Macy's, they'll know, because they made a note of it last time, that I rob suits and they won't give me another one. But I have a clever idea. I'll go to Penny's and get a free suit there. But hang on. When I try to get my free suit from Penny's, they won't give me one either. Macy's has told them that I'm a suit thief. That's odd. One view of the marketplace is that it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world of hostile competitors. The philosopher Thomas Hobbes saw the whole world that way. Since Macy's and Penny's are competitors, you might expect that Macy's would hope that I would rob Penny's next. That would even things out. <laughs> but they don't. In fact, they share information about thieves. They've figured out that in the long run, it's in their mutual best interests to help each other crack down on theft. That's more important to them than short-term getting even. If they didn't share what they know, they'd be cut off from a tremendous information network about theft. So helping the other guy isn't contrary to their self-interest at all. Despite their being competitors, they have a strong incentive to be cooperative. Even more interesting is that they came up with this system on their own. It wasn't a grand design by enlightened rulers, a top-down plan. Rather, it was a bottom-up system that evolved organically by the merchants as they figured out how to manage their affairs. Long before the advent of the department store, merchants realized that cooperation among competitors was an absolute necessity. So many mechanisms in their world depend on trust and reputation issues. Not just in their world, though. In mine and yours. When I first told you my plan for getting a free suit, you might have objected that I ought to be afraid of being jailed. And that seems to require a government with a top-down plan. But even if the fear of jail were taken out of the equation, I would still have good reason to pay my bill. The same networks of trust and reputation that the merchants depend on are things that I depend on as well. To have a job, a home, a car, to be able to buy plane tickets or go to a restaurant. In an important way, we're all merchants. We all trade with each other. Not only are we capable of cooperating, we generally do. Society is full of these organic or spontaneous orders. Everything from language to fashion, from internet memes to prices in a market. The basic concepts of Anglo-American common law, as well as the international merchant law, evolved in a similar fashion the result of people's attempts to work out the most mutually beneficial ways of living and working together. So when people tell you that society can't solve its problems without force applied from the top down, you're right to be skeptical. Mechanisms that facilitate and are based on social cooperation are all around us. 
And that, people, was from the Learn Liberty page. I highly recommend you all learn liberty. <laughs> so, I just want to say this one more time. Here are my thesis statements from the show after everything I've played for you so far, people. First of all, we need both competition and cooperation in the marketplace. I will repeat that. We need both competition and cooperation in the marketplace. Why? Because we need competition because it drives innovation. And we need cooperation because it is in our own individual best interest to protect and defend our operation. Remember when Chomsky said that, you know, it's only been in the, you know, past 200, 300 years where people thought having a job was like something to aspire to. And, you know, I, I wrestle with that a lot because I really, I believe in work. Uh, I believe in work, you know, coupled with, you know, a spiritual connection, a purpose, a something, an activity that you could see yourself doing all day, every day for the rest of your life. And it brings you joy and, and because you love it. You know, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. Right? Right? So... You know, there's a, there's a lot of reasons why that philosophy and everything that I've been talking about so far in this in this episode uh, is corrupted, and the big club corrupts it and does it in a lot of ways. And I'm gonna play you a clip right now that is pretty sad, but is a perfect example. It is a perfect example of how not getting access to a free market can completely destroy and stifle an economy a people a culture it can it can it can it can result or it is the result no market access no ability to compete is the reason why so many countries around this world still live far below the poverty line so here take a listen to this and if it tugs on your heartstrings a little bit, you know what? Maybe it should. Because maybe you all need to learn. Left-wingers, right-wingers, independents, maybe we all need to take this clip to heart. Okay? Here we go. Listen up. This is the secret of how the rich keep us poor. Guinea in West Africa is the 10th poorest country in the entire world. This fact is shocking considering that Guinea is also one of the world's largest producers of bauxite. Bauxite is the main source of aluminum, the same aluminum found in cars, homes, and even in some of the foods we eat. So how does a country so rich in resources end up so poor? 
For the past 50 years, $400 billion worth of aluminum was produced out of bauxite that was extracted from one lone CBG mine in Guinea. It is being alleged in litigation that Guinea's share of that wealth has been limited to a mere 1.2% because Alcoa, the company that runs CBG operations, refuses to let Guineans benefit from the mining operations. For instance, even though the government has authorized Guinean-owned Nanco Shipping to ship 50% of its bauxite, Alcoa refuses to honor this part of the agreement. This is all while Alcoa continues to ship Guinea's share and reap the financial benefits that come from it. In Guinea today, 55% of the population lives below poverty. Only one out of five households have access to electricity, and a lack of vital medical resources leaves Guinea vulnerable to sickness as we witnessed during the Ebola outbreak in 2014. Guinea has an extremely high infant mortality rate because only 37% of children are vaccinated. This is the very same country that is one of the world's largest producers of a material that we all use in our everyday lives. Resource-rich countries all over Africa are deprived a fair share of the wealth that they create. Over the last 30 years alone, the continent has lost out on more than $1 trillion. Today, Nanco Shipping is suing Alcoa for refusing to honor its own terms of the mining deal. According to Reuters, if Nanco's case were successful, it would mark a step forward for African nations seeking to wrest greater control of their natural resources from international companies. Please help. Show your support by simply signing the petition addressed to Alcoa at www.howtherichkeepuspoor.com. I mean... There it is, people. You know, the people of Guinea, they, they don't have a free market. They don't have a free market. Their government, their country agreed, you know, signed an agreement with a company to let their, their shipping ship, ship their product. Which I think is even, even that isn't enough. I mean... Obviously, they don't have the technology to mine the bauxite, but, you know, that's the, prob that's the problem and the solution at the same time. Capitalism, it's not that it doesn't work. It works too well, right? And if, if you want to fight the ability for these guys that are in bed with government officials to become so monopolistically, you know, fascist, whatever... You really got to re-examine why you do business with people. You know, it's convenient. Remember when I talked about the, the tyranny of convenience? If you don't like Jeff Bezos, even if you don't like the fact that someone walking this planet has that much money, stop using Amazon. Shop locally. Participate in your community. Stop sitting in your house Locked away from everybody, thinking that you're God's gift to humanity. Stop passive, aggressively, judgmentally criticizing the world you live in from your mom's basement. Basement, Ignorantly pointing your finger and running your mouth from the sidelines. Not making fruitful use of your freedom. No desire 
to try, to attempt. No backbone, no spine. You might even, I might even be, go so far as to say that you're resigning yourself to a life of cowardice. And I think Jocko Willink and David Goggins, etc., would believe in me, would believe in that, would agree with me, rather. Believe and agree. The people of Guinea don't have a free market. They don't have access to a free market because of government interference or because of agreements that their government made that they can't get out of. Either way, someone made some stupid decisions, right? And that's how they would find success and and, and support the people of their country is if they had access to that market. So that's their goal. That's their challenge to overcome, right? And you know, for you people that I'm talking about that are cri- criticizing from the sideline sidelines, just think about it. Every time you use an aluminum product, you you are contributing indirectly. Eh, I might even say directly to the poverty that is taking place in Guinea. So you better stop using aluminum products. You bleeding hearts, alleged bleeding hearts out there. You know, it's a nice facade. Ooh, I'm just trying to help. Oh, I'm just trying to, my intentions are pure. You know, but behind that there's, you know, a psychopathic, narcissistic, bloodthirsty fraud. Trying to pull the wool over your eyes. And it's working. It's working. Alright. It's time to turn up the optimism and the fun. I could talk for hours about this. I think I've, I think I've made my point. I think I, I've, I've pled my case. Um, you know? And if you got something to say... In rebuttal, you want to debate me on this stuff? You got you, you think you're you're high and mighty and you know so much and and you know you you think that you can sway me and get me off of this? Feel free. I welcome it. Send me an email, Andrew for America1984 at gmail.com. Can't wait to hear it. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. All right. <clears throat> Welcome back. Thanks for listening. Uh, saw this. Wanted to share it. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Wayne Dupree, the Wayne Dupree Show, recently tweeted, Before communists can take over a country, they must control the education, check, control the education of your children, destroy symbols of your history, check, we've seen that, rewrite your history, check, seen that, and take away your guns, Almost check. 
And like I've said in a previous podcast, if that happens, that's probably actually checkmate. Um, alright, enough of this. I'm gonna play some punk rock. But I want to end with a quote real quick before I play a punk rock song. We're going to listen to the Descendants song, Everything Sucks, here in a minute. And it's dedicated to, you know, all you cowards, crybaby, whiny, bitchy, cancel culture, progressive, idiot, nut jobs out there. Oh, I'm so bored. Everything sucks. Oh, God. Eh. My coffee was cold today when I picked it up at Starbucks. I'm tweeting you on my fucking $2,000 Mac Pro computer. Oh, my God. Here's Eric Fromm. You guys remember Eric Fromm. He wrote The Sane Society. I talked about uh, him in a previous podcast. Uh, His uh, explanation of the difference between reason and uh, uh, intelligence. Fruitful use of your freedom. You guys remember him, right? Here's Eric Fromm from his book, The Anatomy of Human Destructiveness, 1973. Quote, The sick individual finds himself at home with all other similarly sick individuals. The whole culture is geared to this kind of pathology. The result is that the average individual does not experience the separateness and isolation the fully schizophrenic person feels. He feels at ease among those who suffer from the same deformation. In fact, it is the fully sane person who feels isolated in the insane society and he may suffer so much from the incapacity to communicate that it is he who may become psychotic unquote deep dark and here we go one more from Lysander Spooner one of my favorite libertarian thinkers quote If any man's money can be taken by a so-called government with his own, I'm sorry, without his own personal consent, all his other rights are taken with it. For with his money, the government can and will and has hired soldiers to stand over him compel him to submit to its arbitrary will and kill him if he resists. Unquote. Yeah, you know what, Lysander Spooner? I agree. Everything sucks. People suck. Bill Hicks says he can prove it on an Etch-A-Sketch. He'll give us the fact, factorum, thesis. He'll show his work. Case closed. We're a virus with shoes. <laughs> George Carlin says, you know what? Maybe something else sucks around here. Maybe maybe the public sucks. I got a campaign slogan for you. The public sucks. Fuck hope. <laughs> This has been episode 36 of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast.
the morality of the free market. Got to have competition and cooperation. I really hope we start getting this stuff through our heads, people. I love you guys. Thank you for listening. Good night, and we'll see you next time.